Yeah, let's, uh, if you have your Bible, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We are in the 12th message on uh, this series, and we've been talking about dressing for success because the Apostle Paul, who was once, um, uh, you know, he was antagonistic against Jesus in the church, uh, had a dramatic uh, experience with Christ and experienced salvation of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And uh, man, it just radically changed his life so much that he became an advocate for Christ and spreading the gospel and establishing churches. And so Paul realized that, you know, all the heartache that he had to deal with in the course of following Jesus, that there was a war behind the war and there's an enemy that was trying to block everything that God does. When God does, moves forward, Satan counteracts whatever God's trying to do. And so he... Uh, he was uh, chained to a Roman soldier for two years uh, while awaiting trial in Rome. He had made a, an appeal to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen, and he thought he was getting a raw deal, so he went to Rome. You can read about that in Acts chapters 21 through 28. And uh, as he was chained to that uh, Roman soldier, he began to make an analogy between the war that you and I face on a day-in and day-out basis on the basis of what that the armor that that soldier was wearing and how we could make spiritual application to our lives on a daily basis. So here's what he says in Ephesians 6.10. Again, let's just set the context. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the might of his, of his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in where? Heavenly places, right? So in the invisible, unseen world, there's a war that's going on that's being played out on planet Earth in the visible, physical realm, and you and I are a part of that war between God and Satan. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition, these, so those, those were kind of like pieces of the armor were to wear all the time, more, more off, uh, defensive. Here comes the offensive. He says, now I want you to take up, when you need it, take up the shield of faith we talked about last week, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And so we're going to talk today about the helmet of salvation. Helmets are very important in our society, as you well know. Uh, if you've ever played sports, you know the importance of helmets. Any football players out there? Yeah, you played in your day and time, right? So it's important you have a helmet on uh, to protect your, 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 your brain. Uh, you don't want to have multiple concussions. It's bad enough when you have a helmet on. Any baseball players? So a baseball player, if you've ever been beamed by a pitcher in the side of the head while you're at bat, you know the importance of a helmet. I was a motorcycle racer. I raced motocross for many years. I know the importance of a helmet. When you come flying off a bike, the first two places you land is on your head and your shoulder. Therefore, you had better have a helmet on if you want to keep yourself intact, right? I work construction. I was a pipe fitter uh, foreman doing commercial construction. I know the importance of a hard hat. When something falls on your head from above, if you don't have a hard hat on, it could lead to your death, depending on the object that is hitting you. So we understand the concept of helmets and how important they are. What is the purpose of a helmet? The purpose of a, a helmet is to keep your brain from experiencing a fatal blow. Because if your brain experiences a fatal blow, it could cause an aneurysm, it could cause a brain bleed, it will not only affect your brain, but ultimately it affects your entire body. And it could lead, possibly, even to your death. And so we begin to understand that the brain must be fiercely protected because if it's damaged, then the body function of your body also gets damaged because of the damage in your brain. So, if for example, if you're a football player and you've suffered multiple concussions, well, you're ending your career, right? Because the doctor understands if you incur future concussions, it might be that your body shuts down altogether. It could lead to your, your death. And so the helmet is, um, is, is very, very important. So with that in mind, 
Paul takes this physical example of a Roman soldier who would wear a helmet that was made of molded metal and had uh, place, plates that came down across the, the cheekbones and protecting the side of the face and a strap. And so the helmets were made of various materials. They were not always made of metal, but the whole goal was to protect you from having a fatal wound in your head because that would certainly take you out as a soldier, right? So you wouldn't be worth anything even if you were to remain alive. And so in spiritual warfare, the helmet serves to protect your mind from the fatal blows that it's going to incur from your enemy, Satan. And we'll talk about how he does that, but um, he, can, he can inject things into your thought processes that can literally shut you down emotionally, can, shut, can cause you to make unwise decisions that will lead your body to unhealthy functions. So this is a matter of your soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. God made you spirit, soul, and body. The spirit's the inner core where the spirit of God has opportunity to dwell. Your soul's mind, will, and emotions, and your body. God designed the spirit to live through the soul and the soul through the body. So if we are going to change our lives, if we're going to protect ourselves from the enemy's fatal blows to our thought processes, we have to learn how to take up the helmet of salvation, and what that looks like and what that means, and that's going to be the topic of our discussion for, for today. And so um, here we go. Um, for example, you may have, as, as my wife and I, uh, her mother suffered from Alzheimer's, and I know many of you have had loved ones who have, have had Alzheimer's, and you realize that physical Alzheimer's begins to attack the mind. And as the mind begins to deteriorate, a person begins to lose control of their bodies. They lose control of functioning properly, and so a caretaker obviously has to begin taking care of them. And as the disease progresses, as the mind becomes worse and worse, the greater need for a caretaker uh, is, is there. So um, as the mind deteriorates over time, um, they are less able to control or to care for themselves. And the the worse the Alzheimer's becomes, the less control they have over their life. Likewise, spiritual Alzheimer's sets in when we gradually lose control of our lives. When our mind no longer functions as God designed it to function, we begin to lose control of our lives. Now, that does not mean that you have physical Alzheimer's. It simply means spiritual Alzheimer's is that you're not thinking properly. All of your life, you've been developing a grid system called your mind, a thought processes. That grid system is like ruts being cut into your thought patterns. And much of that grid system, I can assure you, is negative. Because if I ask you, tell me what you think about the most when you think about yourself, when you look at yourself in the mirror, I'm going to get 90% negative stuff. And uh, so you think those same thoughts many times a day, all throughout the course of your life growing up. So here's this grid system. Everything that enters into your mind has to filter itself through that grid system. So if this grid system is based on lies rather than truth, then what results in my emotions, what results in my will, the part of me that makes decisions based on what my mind and emotions is telling it, which ultimately filters into my body and how I express myself bodily, is also going to be extremely distorted. So the helmet of salvation is all about helping us to dismantle the lie-based thought processes that the evil one has placed in our minds all of our lives with God's truth so that we restructure that grid system to be based on the truth of what God says about us, not on what our enemy says about us, which ultimately affects your emotions your will, the part of you makes decisions, and what you do through your, your body. And so that's why one of the primary targets in your life is the mind by Satan. He understands it's the control center of your life. And that's why Paul, every piece of the armor he's given us up to this point, tags into your mind. In fact, every piece of this armor is going to tag into your mind because that's where the battle is won or lost. 
That's why Paul says, listen, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. I know you're having conflict with other people, and I know you're not getting along with some people, but he says there is a war behind that war, and it all comes back to the way that our minds are thinking properly or improperly. And so if Satan shoots a fiery arrow of spiritual Alzheimer's or maybe a conflict leading to a concussion or a, you know, a poison dart of paranoia or a battery of mental disorders or mental fortresses, he can control you as long as he can control your thoughts. So the helmet of salvation um, is teaching us three things that I want us to look at today. Number one is this, my understanding of salvation changes my view of everything. If I really understand salvation, it changes my view of everything. Now, when you hear the word salvation, automatically, because if you've been in the church world for any length of time, when people say, hey, have you, were you, have you been saved? What do they mean by that? Well, do you have a relationship with Jesus? When did that relationship take place? You know, like, was it when you were a child? Was it when you maybe a teenager, maybe as an adult? How did that happen? You know, who are the people that God used to help you understand your need for Christ? And, and how did God, you know, stir your heart in that relationship so we tend to think of salvation as this event that happened in the past, and it did. But you cannot um, localize salvation only to the past. Because when the Bible uses the word salvation, it uses it in three verb tenses, past, present, and future. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. So, um, and all three of those tenses speak of three different words that remind you of what happened to you when you got saved that not only affected you in that moment of time you made that step of faith across the line to receive Christ into your life, but now how God is working in your life all throughout the course of your life and what he has prepared for you on the other side of this life, all right? So, um, Let's kind of flesh that out for a moment. So when Paul was writing this book of Ephesians in chapter 1 and verse 3, he said this, that every one of you who is a follower of Christ, you have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ that you're ever going to get. Right? The moment you got saved, I can tell you 21 things that happened to you instantaneously. Now, I'm not going to give you all 21, so just chill, okay? Uh, <laughs> But, but, um, but I, want you to, I want to point out a couple of them, and the first one is this. One of the blessings that you received when you received Christ as your Savior and Lord of your life and you surrendered your heart and your life over to him is what the Bible calls the word justification. And so justification is an instantaneous change that happened inside of you. And this is not on your outline. You can jot this out on the side. Justification means that God removed the penalty of sin from your life. Remember what the penalty of sin is? The book of Romans tells us, for the wages of sin is death. It's not just physical death. It's spiritual death, eternal death. I, if I remain in that condition, having never received Christ, when I cross the line from this world into the next. And so God says um, that we were all sinners, and therefore we we have incurred this spiritual death that God wants to alleviate us from. And so that's why Jesus came into the world. That's why he died on the cross. He lived a life you couldn't live, died a death you could not die, to pay a payment you could not pay for your sin debt against God so that through him, by God's grace and his love for you, you receive that gift freely from Christ, and that that moment in the past, the moment you made that decision, God justified you, which simply means just as if you have never sinned. That's the way God sees you. And we've already talked about this, that that moment in time, the Bible says that God took your sin debt, he had placed it upon Jesus on the cross, he took the righteousness of Christ, he clothed you in that righteousness, so as you stand before God, he never again sees your sin, he only sees Christ. You have been set apart, you have been sanctified by the righteousness of Jesus. What that means is that you cannot lose your salvation, you cannot lose what God has given you. And so I'm righteous positionally. Who's going to change that? Nobody. See, here's what happens to a lot of people. They get saved and then they live in fear. 
well, you know, I'm not really sure I'm saved. I've been doubting this all of my life. And, man, I've been, um, you know, I've gotten resaved a thousand times, I think. Um, I, I have a friend who's a pastor, and he, I was met with him Monday or Thursday, and he says he went into a woman's home uh, that had been uh, visiting in their church and looked on her wall. She had like 10 baptism certificates, it's like well, what happened here? <laughs> so, so, you know, he, so he took the time to, you know, this is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to have an authentic relationship with Jesus so that you don't live in fear because, listen, fear does not promote intimacy in relationship. Fear promotes, um, it, it inhibits relationship, right? Let's say, for example, when my wife and I got married and uh, I, my wife says to me, hey, I just want you to know, uh, now that we're married, if you, uh, if you don't pick up your socks, if you gain an extra 15 pounds, if you say one cross word to me, I'm out of here. I just want you to know right up front, if you do anything, those things, I'm out of here. So what am I going to do? I'm going to live in constant fear of the relationship thinking, oh, my gosh, did I pick up my socks? Did I pick up my underwear? Did I, did I take out the trash? Did I say something wrong? You know, did, did I gain any weight? And so I would live in constant fear that my spouse is going to vacate me because I have done something or not done something, that is, there, listen, there would be very little intimacy in the relationship. There would be a whole lot of carefully guarding my words and concealing my thoughts and concealing my actions for fear that she might, might leave me. So the present tense of this word also speaks of something else that happened to you, and that is the word sanctification. Sanctification simply means God is in the process now of conforming you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 says, this is God's will, that you be conformed to the image of Christ. It is a lifelong process. It's what God does in the present time that you have here on planet earth. And so what God has done is is he's removing the power of sin over your life. Remember, justification removes the penalty of sin, sanctification removes the power of sin over your life. And so I am being saved. God is removing that power. We're we're, going to dive down on that because this is what Paul is referring to when he says to put on, take up, put on the helmet of salvation. He's referring to this process of sanctification. So Romans 1.16, Paul says what? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, the power to save, past, the the power to heal, the power to deliver. So healing and deliverance, uh, there are a number of things God may need to deliver you from in your daily life. It might be an addiction. It might be a wrong relationship. It might be an unhealthy mindset, a stronghold, an emotional bondage. It can be a number of different things that God wants to set you free of so that you are living this divine life in Christ to its fullest. Right? So this is why God gave us the Bible. How to have life to its fullest with the least amount of wear and tear. This is why we have the Word of God. And so uh, Philippians, I want you to turn to Philippians. Just go to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 2, and verses 12 through 13. Because here's what he says. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, listen, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So he says that God's working something in you so that he can work it out of you. Now, what he's not talking about, he's not talking about earning your salvation. He's not talking about working for your salvation. You don't earn forgiveness, right? If you earn forgiveness, that would be restitution. You don't don't earn forgiveness. You don't even earn God's love. Listen, there's nothing you could ever do or not do that would cause God to love you more or less in your life. He saved you by grace through his son, Jesus Christ, He has removed the penalty of your sin. Now he's in the process of removing the power of sin over your life. And so what God wants to do is to work in you. And this, watch this, this is the role of the Holy Spirit. Remember I said your spirit, soul, and body. When you're outside of a relationship with Jesus, you are spiritually dead. 
You have no connection to God. You have no power source inside of you that is greater than your own will, right? Your own willpower, what you can do in your own strength. But the moment you, you intersect with Jesus, the Spirit of God comes inside of you. He is your newfound power source that is so much more powerful than you because it's God himself who's living inside of you. The Bible says you've become the temple of the living God, and he can enable you to overcome the power of sin in your life. And so the role of the Spirit as he takes up precedence, uh, residence in you is that, watch this, he wants to help you develop the mind of Christ so you're thinking truth, you're replacing that lie-based grid system with God's truth, the mind of Christ that leads to the character of Christ, which is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, so that you might live the life of Christ. So as God is enabling you through the process of your life and your walk with him to become conformed to the image of Christ, now I begin to speak differently. I begin to think differently. I begin to behave differently. I love my wife differently, hopefully better than I ever have, that I would love her as Christ loved the church. And, and so there would be a profound impact upon your life, the way you do business and, and the way you work this out in your life, because Jesus has made you a new person from the inside out. So here's the last tense of um, salvation is the word glorification. That's, that is future tense where God will eventually remove us from the presence of sin. When you die, you are removed out of this world. Jesus says, I've gone and prepared a place for you so that where I am that you may be also. So the moment you draw your last breath, Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So God is taking you to a place that has not one single ounce of presence of sin in God's presence, right? It's called heaven. Don't try to make earth heaven. Earth will never be heaven. Don't try to make heaven like earth because heaven will never be like earth. That is sin torn and sin soaken. God says he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death. None of that for all of eternity. That is what awaits you. And so this is the helmet of salvation. So let me go back to the football illustration. As you think about understanding of salvation that changes your view of everything. Listen, if I live my life in this world knowing that there is something that awaits me beyond this world, I will live my life a whole lot differently than if I live my life in this world apart from Jesus like I was. And I thought that at the end of this life, you just died and you were annihilated. You never knew you existed. And so my philosophy in life was get everything you can out of it because when this life is over, it is over. Obviously, those two worldviews are going to create two different mindsets that will result in two different lifestyles because of truth versus not true. All right, so this is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to fill our minds with truth. So in football, the quarterback is the leader on the field, and he's going to be the guy who play, calls the plays, right? Bring them huddle up. Here's the play. And uh, so the, you know, the players get back out on the field. They're going to run their routes. Um, they're going to run their plays. And so now the quarterback is constantly being attacked by the opposition. Right? Their main goal, the de defense, they want – uh, that front line, the, the linebackers, they want the quarterback to eat dirt every single play if they can do that. They don't want to knock him on his backside. They want to block his pass. Uh, you know, they, they want to do anything they can to keep him from a successful play. So, um, you know, move him out of the pocket, intercept the ball, whatever it might be. I'm getting you all ramped up for Ohio State that plays next Saturday, all right? So here we go. Now, High above the quarterback in one of the boxes up there, above the field, who's looking down on the field, is what is called the offensive coordinator. Now, the role and responsibility of the offensive coordinator is to have already looked at the game film of their opponents. He wants to see how, um, how the team utilizes their defense. When they line up a certain way against certain plays, what is, their, what is the mode or the pattern uh, of what they do, play in and play out. And so he watches the game 
film, and he's watching on the field during the playing of the game, and he can see how the defense, you know, if they line up for a certain offensive play, how the defense might shift themselves in preparation for that play. And so he will speak into the microphone that's in the helmet of the quarterback, and he will have him call an audible, which will cause him to shift his offensive team around so that they can gain more traction against the defense that's coming against them. This is what the coordinator, that's his responsibility. And so um, he analyzes every movement of the opposition, and uh, he informs his quarterback with the strategy to employ at that given moment in time. Now, here's why this is important. Sometimes, like in an important game, and it's an important play, I mean, they're down in the red zone, they need another touchdown to win, time's running out, and the fans are going crazy, and all of a sudden, the quarterback will start going like this. You know, what is he saying? He's saying to the fans, to his fans, hey, quiet down. Uh, I, can't hear the, I, I can't hear what the offensive coordinator's telling me, and my players can't hear what I'm about to tell them because this is an extremely important play because my offensive coordinator is going to give me the play that's going to win the game, supposedly, or you hope, unless you're the Cowboys, then you blow it. So, all right, I had to get that out. I've been in therapy for last month over my Cowboys, so get that out of my system. Uh, so here, here's how this draws in the spiritual realm. You have an enemy that wants to knock you on your tail every single day of your life. He wants to set you back. He wants you to eat dirt. He wants to intercept the past. He wants to keep you from moving forward in your life. And he will do and strategize everything in his power, every weapon he has at his disposal, and launch that against you. But, but, you have a heavenly coordinator who sits far and above this earth, who looks down upon us, our offensive coordinator, who is God the Father, who, who then, watch this, he, he says to the Holy Spirit, this is the message I want you to give to Greg. This is the message I want you to give to this person. It's going to be a message that is tailored for you and, and whatever it is that you're facing in life, let's say you get hit by anxiety. All of a sudden, you've lost your job. There's not a lot of money in the bank. And you're thinking to yourself, we can't survive more than three or four months in this condition. And there doesn't seem to be anything on the horizon. And all of a sudden, listen, Satan's going to rout up against you. He's going to start speaking stuff into your mind and your thoughts, trying to get you filled with anxiety and fear and worry and all this stuff. And the Holy Spirit wants to fill your mind with peace. And he wants to fill your heart with peace. And he wants to fill your mind with the good things of God, and so he wants to speak to you, but sometimes, sometimes there is so much noise going on around us, other people's opinions, other people speaking into our life, and we've never really sat down and tried to listen to what the Spirit of God has to say to you, because this is what I call heavenly downloads. God wants to bring a message from heaven to you. It is a message that you need at that moment, at that time in your life. That's why Romans 10, 17 says, for by faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That word word in the Greek, there's two different words, logos, which mean like the Bible, the word of God, or rima, which means a specific message of God. And at that moment in time, your heavenly coordinator who sits in the heavenly places wants to download into you through his Holy Spirit a message for you in that given moment in time so that you know you have a word from God and you will Pick up your shield of faith, and you will move forward in faith, trusting that God will fulfill the word he gave you. That's putting on the helmet of salvation. That means uh, sometimes we have to get alone with the Lord, right? We have to listen to the voice of God. The deciding factor in victory or defeat, remember, is in your mind. It's who's giving you truth and who's not giving you truth. For example, if a person says, well, hey, my name is Bill and I'm an alcoholic, that's a bad message. Because if you just keep calling yourself an alcoholic, that means that has become a part of your mindset and your identity, and therefore you're more apt to give in to the lure of alcohol again. But as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if I were to trans, 
admit that in a different way and say, hey, my name is Bill and I'm an overcomer. I struggle with alcohol, but I am a blood-bought child of the king who can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I believe God has a word for me in, in the face of the temptation that is standing and staring me right in the face. That's a whole different mindset that leads to two different directions in life. That's why Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 says, Guard your mind, because as a man thinks, so is he. So in our football illustration, that would be translated to saying, Hey, as he hears from the coaching staff, so he executes the play. My question is, who are you listening to? Are you listening to Satan and his demonic beings who are speaking into your mind? Or are you listening to God and the Holy Spirit of God who is speaking into your mind? How do you discern between the two? We'll get to that in just a moment, but I'm just simply saying that one or two of them, they're both speaking at you. You want to discern between what is false and what is truth, what is, what is real and what is not real, what is fake news in your mind. So here's what I put down. Uh, I don't know if this is on your outline or not, but, but let's put it this way. Salvation, listen, salvation is all about, sanctification, all about changing the grid of your mind because this affects the way you think and the way that you view life. Yeah, that's on your outline. So that brings us to point number two that ties directly into point number one, and it is this. My application of salvation filters my thoughts. My application of salvation filters my thoughts. Again, the helmet is worn to protect the head. Do you know that you can live without a whole lot of body parts, but you can't live without your head? You ever thought about that? Lop it off, you're done. Now, I can live without a thumb. I can live without a foot. There's a lot of people who have body parts amputated. They can, they can live reasonably, you know, good lives. But you lose your head, you lose your life. See, Satan understands the importance of your mind. Now, do you? So in the verse that we read, um, here's, here's a statement I put down, and I don't know if this is probably not in your outline. And is this, a mind filled with the Word of God, a mind filled with the Word of God is invincible and cannot be defeated if you're acting on that Word, which is, remember, picking up the shield of faith. Faith is only as good as what your feet do with what it is that you know, right? You have to put it into practice. You have to, listen, you, you are invincible against your enemy if your grid is filled with the truth of God's word as opposed to the lies of your enemy. Now, this grid, the lies of the enemy, is what you built all of your lives based on things that were said to you, done to you, and um, you know, it may have been painful things, it may have been horrible things. And so all of a sudden, your mind began to develop thought processes. And we talked about a several messages ago, you begin making inner vows to yourself. Well, I will never, or I'll never allow that to happen. I'll never let anybody get close to me. I'll never let, and so we make those inner vows thinking we're protecting ourselves when we're not actually protecting ourselves. All we're doing is solidifying the lies in our thought processes. So when Paul says, as we look in 2 Corinthians, where he says, take every thought captive, that word captive means to carry something into exile. Right? His readers in Corinth would have understood that back in their history, um, that Israel split into two separate kingdoms after David died and Solomon became uh, king. And when Solomon dies, now the, the kingdom split into two. Israel became Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And so Israel was carried off into exile by the Assyrians. And then many years later, Judah was carried off into exile by the Babylonians. And so there, were, there was a new king, and carrying them off into exile put them into a land they're unfamiliar with. Uh, and so uh, this new king basically conquered them. Paul says that with every thought that comes into our minds, we need to capture it and send it into captivity, right? Take every thought captive. Why? Because there's a new king that lives in our lives. His name's Jesus. Bring those thoughts captive to Christ. You want to know, is this truthful or not? Is this how you see me? Is this what you say about me? Is this what you think about me? Or is this a lie of the enemy? Because oftentimes we receive the lie of the enemy as though it's truth. And I couldn't even convince you that what you think is truth is not truthful. Even though it is actually a lie. 
And so oftentimes we don't take our thoughts captive. I mean, you ever, for example, you ever, you ever gotten a, a text message from somebody? Our minds are so lie to us so much, we can look at that text message and we can interject the tone of the voice of the person who sent it to us, right? Like, oh, well, that was a dig. Well, well, if that's the way you feel about, da, 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 you know, I'm firing back at you. See, this is, this, we let our minds run wild, unchecked most of the time, and we never check to see what it is we're thinking about. And so we want to, um, we want to filter our thoughts. We want to bring them into captivity so that negative thoughts that come into your head, um, you, you want to deploy biblical truth upon them. For example, let's take, let's take worry and anxiety. You know, the University of Cincinnati just did a study, discovered that 91% of all the worry and anxiety that you have will never happen. What, whatever it is you were worrying about, whatever was creating anxiety in your life, it's never going to happen. You think it's going to happen. You've convinced yourself in your mind it's going to happen. And what you convince yourself in your mind, you convince yourself in your emotions. And what you convince yourself in your emotions then tells the will we need to react bodily to this worry and anxiety because we just know what's going to happen, but according to them, 91% of it never happens. See how this works? See how Satan can keep you off guard? How he can keep just firing darts at your head, at your mind, to keep you tackled, to keep you eating dirt? All right, well, so here's some things under this application on your outline. I'll give you just some fill-in-the-blanks and then flesh this out for just a minute. We'll move on. We're about done. All right, so we, I did a series about five years ago called Toxic Thinking, and uh, here's some things that we talked about in that. If you want to change your life, you have to change your thoughts. Nobody changes their life without changing the way they think because, again, the brain is the, it is, it is the um, control center of your life. You can change circumstances around you. For example, people get all ramped up about something, and so what we'll do is we'll look at what's happening around us or in us, and we think everybody out there is the enemy, and God says, oh, no, no, they're not the enemy. Uh, it's far, no, no, the enemy's right here. The enemy's, this is, the battle's taking place right here between your temples. This is the battlefield. This is where you win or lose the battle. And so this is what we have to work on. We have to work on the control center. Change your thoughts. You can change your life. And the reason why this is so, so important is because your life always moves in the direction of your most dominant thinking. And if I keep thinking negative thoughts today, which I think those same negative thoughts tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that, I have so convinced myself that this is the way I am, this is who I am, this is my identity, this is the way God feels about me, this is what God says about me, that's all based on lies, then I will never live to my full potential of what God wants to do in and through my life, through his son, Jesus Christ, I will squander the spiritual blessings that are mine through Jesus Christ until I start changing this control center. And so my third thing is when you identify the source of your thoughts, you can then change the course of your thoughts, which will ultimately result in the change in the course of your life. So how I identify the source? Where, where, where are these thoughts coming from? Obviously, some things, you know, people have hurt you in childhood, said things about you, and everyone struggles with this. But maybe it's not where it comes from, but from whom it comes. See, I believe that, as Jesus believed, that you have an enemy who wants to convince you that you're thinking these thoughts, and he's going to hide behind the scenes. That's why Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So if he's going to steal, kill, and destroy, he's going to remain behind the scenes. So you don't think that he's involved. You just think you're involved. Right? So he just fills your mind with all this stuff. And so whether or not we experience the life of God as he has it for us, it will be to determine how well we control our thoughts. So who is the source behind my thinking? For example, if in the grid of your mind, you constantly think thoughts like, well, I'm unlovable, I would be better off alone, I'm so stupid, I'm a failure, I never do anything right, nobody will ever care about me, and these are the thoughts that are rolling around in your mind. Who do you think is the source of those thoughts, God or Satan? Good answer. 
right? Who wants to continue feeding your mind with those kinds of thoughts, God or Satan? This is really not rocket science about how you determine who is speaking. So the Word of God, Philippians 4, 8, and 9, gives us a grid through which we are to filter our thoughts. But here's what I want you to understand is that um, all the thoughts that Satan plants in your mind are always fear-based. Because if they're fear-based, then it locks into my emotions. And when you lock into a, a person emotionally, you have them, right? Because even, the, even in our lives, if we know something is true, but we don't feel like it's true, or we don't feel like we want to do it, we won't do it. Like everybody knows in here that exercising regularly is really good for you physically. But just because we know that doesn't mean we do that, right? So just knowing something, because emotionally I'm like, oh, I just don't feel like it today, and, you know, I'm really tired, and I've had a stressful day, and, you know, maybe tomorrow, maybe, and we put it off and put it off, and we finally go out, and we buy that gym membership, and we go three or four times, you know, about the month of January, by February, you know, the place begins to clear out, and hardly anybody shows up. Now watch this. Satan appeals to your flesh. Remember, your flesh is the part of you that's unredeemed. Where you're driven by emotions, you're driven by your impulses. Galatians chapter 5 says when Satan is appealing to your flesh, here's what the result is. Here's what he's after. Lust, jealousy, envy, divisive thoughts, impulsiveness. How many of us have made bad decisions impulsively? Uh, Hostility, hatred, selfish ambition, quarreling, lustful pleasures. Where he says in that same chapter, but when the Spirit is speaking, which is faith-based, not fear-based, it... He's looking to accomplish love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, not impulsive, self-control. So these are the fruits of the Spirit. And so when my thinking processes promotes fleshly desires as opposed to the desires of the Spirit, it's pretty darn clear as to who's speaking and who's not. All right? Hold that thought. Here's the last one. My picture salvation transforms my life. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, um, I'm dating myself, love the Beverly Hillbillies. Right, Beverly Hillbillies, Jed Clampett, you all remember Jed Clampett, he was a hillbilly, he lived in Tennessee, and one day he's out there hunting for some food, and he sees this black stuff bubbling up from underneath the ground, and oil that is, black gold, Texas tea, you know, so we got the whole song in our head there. So, uh, and so what does Jed do? He, he's, he sells his property, the oil rights, he's a millionaire. Loads everybody up. They move to Beverly Hills and um, you know, move into this huge mansion. But even though they're living in this huge mansion, they're still living like hillbillies, right? They still have the old same truck, and, you know, Granny is Granny, and Jethro is, is Jethro. Now, my question for you is this. When did Jed become a millionaire? Did he become a millionaire when he found the oil, or did he become a millionaire when he bought the property? He became a millionaire when he bought the property. He just didn't know the oil was there. This is the same thing in your spiritual life, is that when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, every spiritual blessing is yes in Christ for you. You just don't realize what's there. You've never learned how to leverage what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf when it comes to spiritual war. Jed became a millionaire, but he continued to live a life of a hillbilly even when he moved into the Beverly Hills because he didn't know how to live up to what he had acquired. And that happens so, so much to us. We have failed to recognize the magnitude and the relevancy of this gift that we have that limits our understanding of salvation to just going to heaven. And don't limit it there because it means much, much more. So in the few moments I have, I get five minutes. Here's the transformation process. I'm going to give you the process. I'm going to just give you the main points. We will flesh all of this out next Sunday when we pick up the last piece of the armor, the sword of the Spirit, because the sword of the Spirit ties directly into this transformation process. Now, some of this we've already touched on in this message, so here it is. Number one, you have to take your toxic thoughts captive and write them down. What are the toxic thoughts that keep rolling around in your mind? Write them down. Get them on paper so that you can look at them, you can see them for what they are. Because your toxic thoughts become your default thoughts that gravitate into your mind many times a day. 
I can't, it will never happen, I'm not. And so what happens is this has been, become pre-programmed into your subconscious mind, so it is an automatic response. The minute you find yourself, let's say, for example, somebody did something very hurtful to you when you was a child. You've carried this around all of your life. You're, you've built all these mental processes around that. And the minute you get in a similar situation, all of that stuff comes flooding back into your mind, flooding back into your emotions. And then all of a sudden, your will is going to make a decision instantly on the basis of what you are feeling and experiencing at that moment. Right? God wants to change that. He wants you free from that. He wants to deliver you from that. And so God comes along and says, no, no, you don't have to live according to his pat- this pattern of thinking. You can change your thoughts and thus change your life. It hinges on your willingness to renew your mind. What did Apostle Paul say in Romans 12 too? If you want to be transformed, you do so by what? The renewing of your mind. Why? Because the mind is the control center of your entire life. This is where God does his great work in you. Number two is you identify the source of those toxic thoughts, right? So we already talked about this. Let's say, for example, ladies, uh, you're, you're about to be a mother and for the first time, and you're just having a sweet time with God, and all of a sudden God just says something, you know what? You are going to be an absolute wonderful mother. Um, I have shepherded you and your spirit, and I just, I just see in you the ability to shepherd the hearts and the lives of your kids. You are going to be an absolute wonderful mother. Now, you think Satan's going to sit back and just let that happen? Oh, no, 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 no. No, he's going to interject something like this. Uh, no, you're going to be a failure, and the reason I know you're going to be a failure is because you're already a failure. I mean, you, you, you look at the things you've done. Look at the things you've done in the past. Look at the shameful things that you carry around with you. He's going to, what does he do? He uses words of condemnation, and he always uses the word you to think that, you know, you're thinking it, but he's the one who's interjecting it. It's not I am going to be a failure. It's you are going to be a failure. That's one of the key elements you know Satan's talking to you is because he uses the personal pronoun you. And so he is interjecting what? Condemnation, right? So I feel bad about myself. I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I'm a waste. And, and he'll draw back on the past and all the stuff you've done in the past. How are you going to respond to that? I respond, you know what, Satan? You're right. I have done every single one of those things. I am guilty as charged. However, when I gave my life to Jesus, he wrapped me in his righteousness. I stand justified before God, just as I've never sinned. Jesus is my advocate in heaven. He took my sin debt, paid it in full, and he wrapped me and clothed me in his righteousness. Therefore, I am now a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. That's who I am in Jesus. Right? See, this is how you leverage God's truth against the lies that Satan is trying to to tell you, and so it becomes very obvious, Satan always condemns for the purpose of destruction, humiliation, as the Holy Spirit convicts us for the purpose of restoration. Why he wants to bring us to the Father, not push us away from the Father. And so you just ask yourself, do these thoughts make me shame-filled or full of gratitude, right? So that'd be tell you, okay, if I'm shame-filled, well, that's not coming from God. If I'm filled with gratitude, well, that's coming from, from Jesus, right? All right, here's number three. Take responsibility for the direction of your thoughts, and challenge your excuses. This is so, so important because this is what we often do not do. Um, it doesn't mean that every thought you have, uh, you know, is, is like from the pit of hell. Sometimes we, we come up with these things, but we have to take responsibility for what's happening in our lives. For example, I was following a truck on 270 this week, and on the back of it it says, not responsible for broken windshields. Now, you know why they put that on there? Because they've broken a lot of windshields, right? They get tired of people calling them and say, hey, you broke my windshield. So it's not that they aren't responsible. They just don't want to take responsibility. Well, this often happens in our lives. We just don't want to take responsibility for our lives. Our brains are like excuse-making factories. Like, we know what we need to do. We just don't want to do it half the time. And... Um, so, uh, if God wants us to experience transformation, we have to take responsibility on our part for doing so. Remember, God's already worked in us everything in salvation. Now, he's, he's, he's want work out of How do I work out my salvation? I am putting into practice what Christ has worked in, in me. That means I have to take responsibility. There are things I must do. God's just not going to drop, you know, pixie dust on, on you and change your life automatically. Now, my car... Um, 
several months back, uh, broke down, and I got, took it to a mechanic, and it was, he says, timing chain's bad, $1,500. Right, okay, was I pleased about that? No. But I, I had one of two choices. I either take responsibility and say, I'm going to pay the bill and get it fixed, or I can say, I'm not going to pay the bill and it won't be fixed. So if I want it to be fixed, I have to be responsible to pay the bill. This is exactly the same way in our walk with Jesus. If you want to be fixed and God wants to fix you, uh, then you have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God and what God's doing in your life. That is the power of the gospel. I didn't say it's easy. I didn't say it's going to be painless. I'm just telling you, that's what you have to do. You have to take responsibilities. So you have one of two options. You can either justify the way you are, make excuses for the way you are, and never experience transformation in your life, or you can take responsibility for your life, pick up the shield of faith, put on the helmet of salvation, pick up the sword of the Spirit, and experience God's transformation. It is up to you. Here's my point. Here's the bottom line. You can make excuses, or you can make progress, but you can't do both. That's a good place for an amen. Right, so you can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't, you can't do both. You have to take responsibility at some point in your life for where you are. Otherwise, otherwise, you will always play the victim game, which is kind of where our society is now. That way I can justify and excuse myself for not having to take responsibility. Now, just for the sake of argument, maybe your parents did criticize you a lot and got angry with you a lot, and maybe they punished you physically or emotionally for doing something wrong or not doing something right, or maybe that, you know, uh, you felt inferior, you felt inadequate. Maybe your parents did withhold love and affection from you as a means of um, disciplining you, and maybe you grew up with these deep feelings of guilt and this sense of worthlessness. That may be what your parents did to you. So for the sake of argument, let's just say that's what happened to you. But listen, do you think that that's going to change? Do you think they can come back and re-undo what they've done in you? Absolutely not. So you can either play the victim card, well, but this is what happened to me, and therefore my life is always going to be on this trajectory, and it can never be different, and it can never change. That is a lie from the enemy. It can be different, and it can change if you're willing to Take responsibility, stop making excuses, and pick up the armor of God, put it on firmly, start operating in the context of that armor. God can and will change your life. And I'm going to make a statement, and I'm done. Uh, Listen, all negative emotions depend on their very existence, on your ability to blame someone or something else for something in your life that you are not happy about you got to stop making excuses. So here, here's the bottom line. Event plus response equals outcome. Now, that does not originate with Urban Meyer. That originated with Jack Canfield. You know, I have the book that he wrote in which he has that statement in long before Urban Meyer took that you know, phrase and, and used it with the football team. And my point is simply this. As long as you're blaming someone else for something in your life, and they may be to blame, I, I, I'll give you that. They may be to blame you will continue to see yourself as a small and helpless victim. Those who make the greatest progress and those who see the greatest transformation in their lives are those who make the fewest excuses. Again, you can either make excuses, you can make progress, but you can't do both. Here's the last one, and that is replace your toxic thoughts based on lies with God's thoughts based on truth. We'll talk about that next week. So here's the last fill in the blank. Fixing your thoughts, Colossians 3.2 says, fix your minds on things above. Fixing your mind on Christ, whose truth, fixes your mind. And we'll t- discuss that next Sunday. So let's bow our heads together.